0: Well, we're uh, continuing our series this morning that we're calling uh, The Cure. It's a sermon series from the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And what we're seeing is that the issues that Paul uh, is addressing here in this letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth uh, are very similar to a lot of the issues that uh, churches are facing today in the world that we live in, and the culture that we're in. But for Paul and for us, what we've been talking about, the cure to all these things is just a renewed focus and an emphasis on the gospel message of Jesus Christ and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And when we get that right, when we do that right, Uh, then that will take care of all the noise, the chaos, the problems that may come our way or enter into our lives or even uh, our church for that matter. And I want to thank Kevin Puckett for reading us uh, the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at uh, today. But as you may have noticed, this passage of Scripture uh, here in chapter 8 is about eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. Uh, And best I recall, I don't know that anyone has ever contacted me or reached out to me and reported that someone in the church has been eating food that was sacrificed to an idol, okay? I'm not familiar with uh, a situation like that. So what does all of that mean? What does that mean Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Those of you that that know me very well, you know that I love sports. Uh, I love to watch sports. Uh, I married a a lady that knows absolutely nothing about sports, could care less about sports. Uh, I've shared the story before that we had just, we hadn't been married very long. I took her to a Razorback football game. And, you know, we're sitting on about the 10-yard line up pretty close. And uh, it was the end of the game. The Razorbacks had the ball. We were behind. All we had to do is score a touchdown to win the game. And we've got the ball. All the action is right here in front of us. The place is crazy. It's just chaos. And, you know, we're driving. All we need is a score in these final seconds to win. I look over at Lynette to see... You know, because it's just chaos going on around us. I look over at Lynette. She's not even looking at the field. She's looking over here like this. She has her back to the play, And I'm like, what are you doing? She said, we have the most awesome band, don't we? And uh, we'd been married just long enough that it was too late to get it annulled. And so here we are. Uh, 30 some odd years later and she still does not like sports but I love sports as a kid I played uh, every sport Uh, we didn't have soccer when I was a kid I probably would have played that too but I played every sport uh, that was available one of the sports that I played was football and I loved to play football I got to play quarterback a little bit uh, when I was younger but my favorite place to play was on defense Uh, played a little bit at defensive end, Uh, actually got moved a little later because I wasn't quite big enough to cornerback, which was my absolute favorite position because I I, I loved being the one doing the hitting rather than the one getting hit, right? And so I, I loved playing on defense and playing cornerback. And even though one of the objectives to football, especially if you're on defense. Well, the objectives of football is to knock the other guy down, right? But tripping was not allowed in football, all right? And if you did, then your team would get penalized. You'd get a 15-yard penalty called not only against you, but against your entire team. And as I thought about that, and I was studying this passage of Scripture, I thought, you know what, if tripping is not allowed in football a game where you're supposed to be knocking people down and hurting them, then it certainly shouldn't be allowed in life, should it? Especially in the context of the church. A place where, yes, we're supposed to be family, where we're supposed to be helping one another, where we're supposed to be encouraging one another and holding one another up. That's the point of the church and the purpose of the church. Now our scripture this morning isn't talking about physically tripping someone and physically knocking them down, but it's about spiritually tripping someone up, especially another follower of Christ within the church. Or Paul says it like this, he talks about being a stumbling block to someone else. And so today we're going to see Paul addressed another problem uh, which was taking place there in the church in Corinth, and it wasn't really more of a problem than a question that has been posed to him that he has received from the ch- church. Uh, but we're going to see that this message, this response to the question, uh, applies not only to the church in Corinth, but it applies to all of us Uh All churches and all followers of Christ. And the question at hand in the church at Corinth centered around food being sacrificed to idols. And Paul's response to the question about that, uh, he's responding to to the question, Is it wrong for us to eat that food? All right? And now in the pagan culture of that day, just so you understand and we understand the context of this, uh, in the culture of that day during Corinth, we established early on in the, in the series that there were uh, a lot of pagan worship taking place there in the city in Corinth. Uh, there were many temples that had been built that, where they came together and they worshiped Roman gods and Greek gods in these temples. And a a way that they would uh, worship these gods is that they would bring food into these temples, and they would place this food beside this stone or wooden statue of the Greek or Roman god. Now, everybody knew that these stone or wooden statues they they knew that they weren't going to eat the food right Uh, so it was considered uh, acceptable to be used for other purposes other purposes might be that the priest in the temple would uh, take the food home to his family and feed himself and his family they also uh, would invite other people in. It was almost kind of like a, a church potluck, right? And people would come in and, and eat as a form of worship to these pagan gods. Just another reason that we should not have potlucks in the church. It's a pagan act of worship, you know? Um, but often, you know, the, uh, there would be this food left over, and so the priest would take this food uh, to the market, and they would sell this food in the marketplace where people were coming to buy their groceries. And so the question came up in the church, is it wrong to buy this food, and is it wrong to eat this food? And if we were to buy some of this food in the market and we were to eat it, would that mean that we are participating in this pagan worship? And here in chapter 8, Paul gives a two-part answer to this question that he's been sent. Look, uh, we'll pick it up at verse 4 this morning. He says, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth... As indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So first, the Apostle Paul says here, he basically is saying there's nothing wrong with eating this food, mainly because these pagan gods don't exist. These pagan gods cannot contaminate uh, this food or this piece of meat or or whatever because they're not even, even real. And he says there is only one true God, and so Christians have nothing to fear from a wooden statue or a stone statue. And I'm sure some of them, and probably even some Christians today, might say, well, you know, wait a minute, Paul. Of course, these statues don't have any power, but isn't the worship of these pagan gods wrong? Isn't the worship of these statues demonic uh, in nature? Those statues may not be real, but Satan and his angels certainly are. And so, would it really be okay to eat food that had been offered to Satan? And in chapter 10, you see that Paul, he basically kind of agrees with that thought process, but he's not contradicting what he's saying here in chapter 8. In chapter 10, he clearly discourages followers of Christ and Christians from participating in worldly worship and pagan worship. By actually going to those temples of idols and participating in the worship and eating the food as an act of worship there in the temples like some were doing. But here in chapter 8, what he's doing is specifically addressing the question as it pertains to purchasing the food in the market and eating it. Okay, Because in all reality, in the market, they may or may not have known where this food actually came from that they were buying, and the food, you know, could not actually be demon-possessed, it was perfectly safe to eat. So, that's all well and fine, but we don't buy our food at a market like that, do we, that might have come from the worship of idols. We don't have that, as far as we know, uh, as an issue in the church. So, how does this apply to us today? Well, I think there are some parallels that we can draw to the world that we live in, the culture that we're a part of, and some things that we're seeing in the uh, current church. Um, And we're going to get to that in just a minute, but I want to continue on here in verse 7 and continue to look at what Paul says here. He says, "...but not everyone possesses this knowledge." Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But this is really not a big deal, he says, because he goes on to say, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Okay, Our spiritual health or how good of a Christian that someone is does not depend on whether or not they choose to eat this food that may have set beside an idol, All right? But there is a problem that Paul was concerned about, and that's the tripping up of another follower of Jesus or another Christian. Look at verse 9. He says, Be careful, however that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So how could we trip someone up? How could we be a stumbling block? Well, look at verse 10. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened? To eat what is sacrificed to idols also. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by the knowledge that you have. So let me try to give you a scenario of what this might have looked like. All right? Let's say that John invites James over for a steak dinner. And they're setting down to eat this steak and James asks, hey John, where did you get this steak at? And John replies, well, I got it down at the market, it was actually on sale and uh, I picked it up at the market this morning. And James responds to him, are you not afraid that it might be meat that was offered to an idol in one of the pagan temples in town? And John says, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure it probably was. That's why it was reduced, and I got such a good deal on it. But it, it's no big deal. What, what you eat really can't affect you spiritually, and so it, it's okay to eat this. This meat can actually hurt you. And so John and James enjoy their steak dinner together. But not really. Because you see, James can't really enjoy his meal because he still believes in his heart that there's something wrong with this. James still believes in his heart that it's wrong to eat food that had been used to worship idols in these pagan temples. Even though his belief in what he thinks may not be right, it may not be correct, he still feels like that he's doing something that seems wrong to him with every bite that he takes there at John's table. Even though there's nothing actually wrong with eating the steak, unless you've cooked it well done, and there's something wrong with that, y'all. I'm just telling you. It's dead when they gave it to you. It's still going to be dead if you eat it medium. But James, James is struggling with this. And even though there's nothing wrong with eating it, here's the deal. It's wrong for you to go against something that you believe to be right or wrong. Because by doing that, you're going against what you believe God wants you to do. Now, we might think, if you're very familiar with Paul's writings, you might think that Paul would actually scold someone like James for even eating the steak that if he thought that it was the wrong thing to do. Because Paul addresses that. He spoke to uh, you know, this similar situation in, in other writings that we find in the New Testament. But instead, in this situation, Paul puts his focus on the person like John. All right? Who shouldn't have put people like James in that type of situation to begin with. Look at verse 12. Paul says, When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Friends, that is some strong language he uses there. When you do this, you have sinned against Christ. And John might say, but I didn't do anything wrong. Paul, you even agree with me that this is not wrong. And Paul's saying, you have the knowledge of what is right and wrong, but actually you didn't handle this situation correctly you weren't thinking about your brother James you weren't thinking about your brother in Christ and it led him to do something that he felt was wrong Paul saying here that he was putting his knowledge before the love of his brother Paul spoke of this at the beginning of this chapter when he said in uh, verses 1 through 3, he said, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Paul's saying the right attitude, the attitude of love, that this is the cure for all the issues. This is the cure for the problems of this world in how we live. And Paul goes on to close out this chapter in verse 13. He says, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul's saying it's best that you give up your rights to limit your own freedom in order that we don't trip up someone else. Our brothers, or sisters, our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren. He's saying this is an attitude Of love. This is an attitude of being humble. So we have this whole issue of how to deal with food that's been sacrificed to idols. We've got that all resolved now. Don't you feel better? But what does this mean for us? Today. In the world that we live in in our church, what can we take away from this? Well, first and foremost, we need to make sure that we're not tripping up someone else and causing them to stumble because we should love others first and foremost. In other words, we should never act in a way that might cause someone else to stumble. We should never live our life in such a way that it causes someone else to stumble. Now, that's probably not going to be by serving a stake that has been sacrificed to an idol. But what are some ways that this might happen? How might this look today? Today? Well, I believe one of the most common occurrences in churches all across America today are the varying opinions on alcohol. Some of you knew when I started this message that we, we were going to get here. Um, there are a lot of differing attitudes and opinions in the church Toward alcohol. And I believe that we wouldn't all agree this morning. But I would say that we all would agree. I'm going to say that we would agree 100% that the abuse of alcohol is not right. Fair assumption? I'm not wrong. (laughs) The abuse of alcohol, I believe we all could agree, is wrong. It's pretty clear. We've seen the results of it. Scripture talks about it. I believe we also would probably all agree, I, I don't know, it may not be 100%, That underage drinking is wrong and probably should not happen. But some, however, would say that the moderate use of alcohol or what some would call social drinking is okay because it's not prohibited in the Bible. while others would argue that Christians should totally abstain from drinking any kind of alcoholic beverage. I'm not here today to debate this topic with anyone. If you're interested, our denomination uh, has a statement of belief regarding the use of alcohol, which I personally believe is a very good statement, but in regards to our text today, Paul is saying that we should be very careful as to not make another follower of Christ stumble. And he says in verse 12, to do that would be a sin against Christ. I didn't write it. Write it. I'm not making it up. This is not my opinion. This is God's Word. And we've talked about in series past, we've talked about that our faith begins in humility and being humble. And you know what? We could easily say, well... This is what the Bible says, and you're wrong about that. That would be an act of pride. You see where Paul's talking about the knowledge is dangerous, but it can be used to cause someone else to stumble. So we approach all things with humility and being humble. And in regards to this subject, Paul is saying to cause someone else to stumble in any area is a sin against Christ. Let me give you an example. Let's say that we had a Sunday school teacher that didn't feel like it was wrong to drink a beer, socially drink, um, and they taught a high school Sunday school class. Thomas and Noel, this I, Thomas and Noel teach our class, our high school class. Um, but let's say, well, let's just say Thomas and Noel. <laughs> if they get up and walk out. We know what they did last night, but Let's say Thomas and Noel exercise their freedom to have a drink because they don't think it's wrong. And they go out last night to eat, and they have a drink with their meal. They're in Conway, and while they're there eating, one of their high school students walks in and sees their Sunday school teacher drinking a beer or alcoholic beverage. What? Is that high school student gonna think? Well, if it's okay for my Sunday school teacher, it's okay for me, right? Now, that's a hypothetical situation that may or may not have happened. <laughs> but the point is this as followers of Christ we are to be discouraging others from doing anything which they might believe does not honor God and you may ask well how can i know what other convictions other people have in the church you know i i i don't know you know what Philip thinks is right and what's wrong. I don't know what would um, cause him to maybe stumble. I don't. I don't. I don't know what his convictions are. And I. I would say this. And boy, there seems to be a huge lack of this in our world today. But I would say, could we use a little common sense? <laughs> It's really not that difficult to know. It's a lot a, a lot of times and this is just the nature of the world that we live in. We're going to do it and I don't give a rip what you think about it. Pastor? I'm going to do it and I don't give a rip what anybody else in here thinks about it. Again, well, again we get back to the fact that that is what pride. Pride. Let's Say, for instance, I stood up here today and I said, okay, I give in. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of battling it. I, you know, you're right. You've convinced me. It's okay if you want to have a drink every now and then. It's all right. for You to have a beer, one beer is not going to hurt you. But here's the deal. If I stand up here today and I tell a group of people like that, like this, if I say that today you know what? I don't know if there's someone around me here today or watching this online who may be prone to addictions. And one beer leads to two, and two beers lead to six, and six beers lead to a life of bondage and destruction. And you're like, oh Steve, you're, you're being kind of Hey, let me tell you something. If you don't believe that alcohol can hold people in bondage and destroy lives and destroy families, you've not been here on a Sunday that Renewal Ranch was here. They've been here every year since I've been the pastor. Every single year that they come, I know someone in the group that I either went to school with, that I went to church with as a kid, Or somebody out of this church. Friends, we can debate all day long what's right and what's wrong for you. But I'll just tell you, I've never seen one good thing come from alcohol. And some of you are like, I ain't coming back. Well, ain't nothing I can do about that. All I can tell you is what God's Word says, and the truth of the matter is this. Paul says, don't be a hindrance to somebody else. Don't be a stumbling block to somebody else. And, and here's the deal. I, you know, I talk about alcohol, and, and, and probably the reason this is so near and dear to my heart is because as a youth pastor, that's kind of the gateway. I mean, that's kind of the things that kids try first. I think now it may be weed. I don't know, but... Uh, kids were introduced to alcohol at very young ages, you know, and, and, and I would see the problems that it would cause, and I'd have students that would get DWIs, and they would be in trouble, and they'd be lying to their parents, and you know, just it, it created all of these issues, and I would step back from it, and I would look at it, and they'd be like, you know, I don't know how I got in this mess, Parents would be like, you you know, they're just making bad decisions. When in all reality, they were being taught at home that it was okay to drink. It was modeled in front of them. And we expect kids who are not mature enough to even live out on their own to make decisions that only an adult can make. And a teenager does not know how to drink in moderation. But yet so many of them were modeled this alcohol example at home. Some of y'all are hating my guts right now. I, sorry about it. I'm just telling you what I've seen and what I've experienced. It's not just alcohol. There are so many things right now. Alcohol is the low-hanging fruit. Y'all knew I was going there. You know where I'm going next? Some of that... Ooh, I almost said a word I probably shouldn't have said. Some of that junk that you watch on TV. You're creating stumbling blocks for your children by allowing some of that smut and filth on our television sets. We're just sitting there watching it like it's all good stuff. The point in our text is that even if you're convinced that there's nothing wrong with you watching a particular television show, you need to be careful that you don't trip somebody else up. And that person that you're tripping and is going to be stumbling out of the house one of these days is your child. <clears throat> People are getting up, walking out all over the room. I don't even I, I need to wrap this up before we don't have a church left. Mm. You may really enjoy watching movies. I mean, my wife, she loves movies. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with watching movies, but I would say don't invite another Christian over to your house to watch a movie if it has scenes or language in it that may be offensive to that person. Here's the deal. It's not our job to change somebody else's conscience. Again, we may go, You're a nut to think that's wrong, right? It's not our job to change someone else's conscience or their convictions. If someone here this morning thinks that it is absolutely wrong for them to go out and eat on a Sunday because they believe with all their heart that Sunday is a day to be set aside to be holy and that no one is supposed to work. And by us going and eating at a restaurant, then it's causing somebody else to have to work. And they just don't feel right about that. It's not our place to convince them that they're dumb. Right? It's not our place to try to convince them that they're thinking all wrong about that. That that's not how they ought to think. We need to leave the shaping of someone's conscience and their convictions up to God. Amen? And the Holy Spirit and His Word. And I'll add this, just because you think that something is not wrong for you doesn't mean that what you think is right necessarily lines up with God's Word. So be careful about that. Because we may believe that we're right as rain about this, but that may not line up with what God's Word says. And so we need to know the difference. We need to be real careful that everything that we think, say, and do are filtered through the lens of what God's Word says a follower of Christ should do. And I want to close with one other point of clarification on this. This scripture is not saying that we need to always try to make other, Christian happy, other Christians happy, right? We've talked about the fact that everybody in the church has their own opinion, right? This is not saying that we need to try to make everybody feel like their opinion is right, all right? That's not what this is about. If someone doesn't like the fact that I'm not preaching in a suit for instance. (laughs) Somebody doesn't like the fact that I don't wear a suit or preach in a suit. That's a personal preference. Would you agree? It's not something that's going to hinder someone spiritually. Paul's talking about spiritual things that might cause a brother or sister to stumble or to sin. That is is the warning in this text. The spiritual welfare of a brother or sister in Christ is more important than any right that we might want to exercise. All of us who are in Christ are brothers and sisters. And y'all, that's not just a label that we use in church. That's a spiritual reality. If we've accepted Christ... And washed by the blood. We've been adopted into God's family. And that makes us brothers and sisters. That's not just some fancy language that we use here in the church to set us apart from everybody else. And Paul is warning us here. Don't trip up another brother or sister in Christ. But instead, help them. You build them up. You love them. You encourage them. You come along beside them. And you walk this journey together. Friends, there, there is not anything more important to us than our relationship with God. But boy, a second to that would have to be the family of God. The family of God is so important and loving and living that out together and building up and encouraging and not being a stumbling block, but being a helping hand to help people when they do stumble. Friends, that is the cure for the world that we live in today. And some of you are sitting there thinking, you know what, I am not the poster child for the church. I am not the one that people ought to be looking to for an example of what to do, right? I get that. I don't want to be that either. But friends, here's the reality. You profess to be a Christian, which says to the world, I am Christ-like. We may not like the fact that people are watching us, But you know what? People are watching us. What do they see? Do they see somebody that looks just like the rest of the world? Or do they see someone that does look like Christ and loves like Christ and cares about others and don't want to cause somebody else to stumble in their walk or on their journey? Friends, I I don't enjoy preaching some of this stuff some days any more than you like hearing it. But again, like I said, I didn't write the Word of God. I've just been asked to share it. This morning we're going to close with a time of prayer. I don't even know what you do with this. But I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit is working through God's Word today. The question is, will you respond in a way where God can mold you and make you more into His image than before we walked in here today? we're going to close with the time of prayer. And if you would like to come this morning, I invite you to come and pray. Maybe there's a situation. Maybe there's a person. Maybe you know a family or a situation. And they're being held in this bondage. And their lives are being destroyed. Because maybe some kind of addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever it may be. And you would just like to come pray for them today. Friends, what an honor to be able to lift them up to the throne of God this morning. Love that song. He's a chain breaker. We stand on that promise today. and So maybe you'd like to come pray for someone else. Maybe a situation, your family, a decision you've got to make. I don't know. But we'll close together this morning as our family comes together and joins one another in prayer today. God I thank you this morning again for your love but I also thank you this morning for loving us enough to speak truth into our lives and I know that's hard sometimes and Paul experienced it and we're no exception there are there's always some kind of pushback or somebody that always wants to question. But God, I, I believe that your word is clear to us about living our lives for the glory of God, our, our denomination. I love the fact that the Church of the Nazarene puts an emphasis and a focus on holy living. Living holy lives that are pleasing to you, that represent you well everywhere that we go. And no, we don't always, we're not perfect. We don't always get it right. But Lord, the, the world will know if we're trying to get it right. God I know that folks struggle with a lot of things in their life and I thank you for the help that comes from your Holy Spirit You promised us a power and a helper To help us overcome the things that we struggle with And God there are some folks here today That are lifting up a loved one, a friend Someone that they know That's been held in bondage to something of this world so, God, I join them in their prayer that they would break free from that bondage. I know I've seen firsthand countless times the destruction that can come from a, from a purely innocent um, act that began at all, can lead to years and years of bondage and destruction so God I pray for those that struggle in these areas and with these things God that they would just sense your help and your strength in their life and in their situation be with us God to help us come alongside those people instead of writing them off or turning them away or shunning them God that we would come along beside them and be encouragers holding them up, carrying them sometimes that requires a lot of grace a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness but good grief look at how much grace and forgiveness has been extended to me and has been extended to all of us and we're your children that makes us grace extenders and People who will extend forgiveness. People who will love. God, I know that your Holy Spirit is working in this place today. I I, I don't know. I don't know what you do with this, but I know that through your word your spirit works. So I'm trusting you today with that. I'm trusting that your spirit is working. God I pray that in my own life that I wouldn't be a hindrance or a stumbling block to anyone help me to know if there's something that's not pleasing to you that um, you know your words like a knife, a sharp knife and sometimes it just has to cut out the cancer so that the cancer don't consume and kill and destroy guys. we go out from this place and we think about the fact that people are looking for Christ they need Christ I pray that they would see Christ in and through me in and through the church people would be drawn to you because of the life that they see us trying to live in you and with you so, God, again, I love you. Thank you for loving us enough to guide us and steer us and work in our hearts, work in our minds, work in our lives. You never give up, you never stop. Thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his powerful, name that we pray and ask these things today amen i love you guys more than you will ever know god bless you